Bibles to John 14 as we continue on in our study of the Gospel of John. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 901. Uh, as you're turning there, I just want to uh, highlight something that's going to happen in a couple weeks. So the last Sunday of March, I think that's the 31st, uh, we're going to do another one of our prayer services that we've done before. And so that's going to be uh, coming up in a couple weeks here. So just wanted you guys to be aware of that. To begin our look at John 14, I want to talk about being a picky eater. Are you the picky eater in your family? Is your spouse the picky eater? Are your kids or were your kids when they lived with you? And you're like, you know what? When you're not in my house, you can eat whatever you want. Are you the type of person who with surgical precision can eat around foods and ingredients that you don't like? Or maybe you're the type of picky eater who would rather eat a snack than a well-balanced diet of food, perhaps using bribery for the consumption of vegetables. When I was younger, my poor mother, let me tell you, my poor mother, there was this one specific dish that she would make. It was on her rotation. And both my sister and I, Steve was still pretty young, so it was both mostly me and Sarah, but she would make this casserole, and there were onions and caraway seeds. And I hated both. So we'd pick them out. We got pretty good at it, very, you know, dexterous, you know, when you're youngest, dexterous fingers. Um, but my poor mother, we, we made it so bad, she would start making the casserole one half plain on the pan and one half, because she liked the onions and caraway seeds. But even if that's not you, you understand the impulse. There is this desire to only eat what you want to eat. And while it's sort of a, an analogy that doesn't have a lot of truth weight to it, I think when we understand that we do the same thing with what we believe, there's a strong impulse in all of us to pick through the truth to pick through the parts that we like, the parts we already agree with, parts that make us feel good, and only eat those and ignore the truth that is hard to understand or humbles us. Today in our passage, we have two truths, and one will obviously be more palatable. And it's palatable even to non-Christians, and the other one is a little harder to chew. Today we're going to look at the hope and comfort we have in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, seeing that that hope and comfort only comes through Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a familiar text this morning, so slow your brains down. 
And let's see what God has to say to us. Our big idea this morning is a simple one. It is only through Jesus that we can have the comforting hope of eternal life. So let's look first at comfort in life and death in verses 1 through 4. This is Jesus speaking. This is very close to his impending death that Friday. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus has again explained that his time on earth is short. And we looked at that in previous weeks. And as you can imagine, when your leader, your teacher, is moving on, will not be with you, there is worry, there is doubt, there is fear of the unknown, there is trouble in your heart. And the disciples were exactly the same as the rest of us. So Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. But then he gives them a reason why. First, he calls them to trust. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, depending on your translation, there may be a difference in some of your translations. Some translations take the first command as a statement, you believe in God, believe also in me. If you have questions about that, come and talk to me later. I can explain those differences, but you can see the idea is the same. There is a call to trust. But then in verse 2, we see the reason for that trust. Again, it is not a blind trust. It is trust for a reason. Look, beginning in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So what is the basis of our peace and comfort today? The future hope of eternal life. And Jesus uses this wonderful word picture of what what we might call a a housing compound. You see this in uh, other parts of the world and in mafia movies where you have all of these houses that are in sort of a family compound, and you know, you live next to your aunt and uncle and their kids. That's the picture. And the idea is that there's lots of room. Meaning there's plenty of room for you. There's never a no vacancy sign on eternal life. And not only are there plenty of rooms, 
Look at verse 3. And if I go, again, this is a time where Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving. Leaving to the cross and eventually leaving in the ascension. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The idea here is that not only are there plenty of rooms, but Jesus is making a promise. And if Jesus is who he says he is, that promise is a guarantee. Look at the solidity of Jesus' statement in those verses. I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus does not promise like you and I. We can have the best intentions. We can be really good at keeping promises. But we cannot make guarantees. Jesus makes a guarantee that those who belong to him will be where he is. There is a promise that cannot be shaken. There is a promise that is guaranteed in a way no other promise can be made. You can know the end of your story. And because of that future guaranteed hope, today you can have peace and joy. Let not your hearts be troubled. Because I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Again, to use somewhat of a... uh, simple analogy think of a sports game think of a sports game that you know the final score and you're watching it but you've already seen the final score no matter how close it gets there isn't that same tension there isn't that same fear and worry right because you know how it's going to end And in a similar way, in in an arena that matters so much more. (laughs) When you are a believer in Christ, you know how the story ends. And so you can endure today. You can have strength today. You can have peace and joy today. Because your Savior is coming back for you. And where he is, you will be forever. We need to read, as a part of this, Revelation chapter 21, 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. That is your eternal destiny if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And it is one that you can know and have certainty. But this leads to the question that Thomas asks in verse 5. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So now that we've seen the comfort we have in Christ, let us see point number two in your outline, the only way to comfort. Now in Thomas's question, it may be that he is still thinking that when Jesus says he's going away, that he is going away to another physical location. In the Gospels, we often see the people and even the disciples completely misunderstand what Jesus is saying when he uses metaphors. But thankfully for us, when they are thick in the skull, those of us who are also thick in the skull get to hear a further explanation of what Jesus is saying. So let's look at verses 5 to 7. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What is the way to the Father? What is the way to eternal life? Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is not merely the teacher of the way to get to the Father. He's not merely the author of ten steps to God. He himself is the road that leads to eternal life. He says this both positively, saying, I am the way, and then negatively, in the second part of verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is a clarity here that if we're honest with ourselves, we cannot miss. The Bible is very clear that the only way to eternal life is through faith in Jesus. There is a promise of heaven, but that is reserved for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And we need to see the clarity this morning, because as I talk to people who are not followers of Jesus, this is the greatest hurdle for them. We live in a world that wants there to be all sorts of ways to the Father. 
When we talk about this in theological terms, we talk about the exclusivity of Christ, the exclusive way of Christ. And without Jesus, there is no hope that is talked about in verses 1 through 4. But there are many people in our culture, maybe many people in your family, who say there must be more ways. But there simply isn't. And going back to the analogy of a picky eater, we live in a world that wants to pick out the parts they don't like. I remember hearing a story between a believer and an atheist. This person was proud of their atheism. And sadly for them, I'm not without sympathy here, sadly for them, their grandmother passed away. And she said to this believer, she said, well, I know that my grandma is looking down on me. And it made me sad. First of all, it made me sad because she had lost her grandma. And we have sympathy for all people as believers in Christ. But what also made me sad on a deeper level is that she wanted to hold on to her ideas of atheism and still wanted to hold on to the hope of heaven. And it was sad for me that she had, from what the Bible would say, that she had deceived herself and given herself hope where there was no hope. Friends, this is at the center of what the Bible says. It can't be brushed away, and I don't think it can be honestly seen any other way. that the Bible is at one time entirely inclusive. That all people, regardless of what they look like or where they come from, all people can be saved through faith in Jesus. There's no political boundaries, there's no racial boundaries, there's no economic boundaries. But at the very same time, there is only one way to be saved. There is only one way to have hope. Friends, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So what does this mean for us today? How do we apply this to our lives? Number one, all believers in Jesus can have comfort because of the promise of eternal life. They say that preachers are supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. If you're afflicted this morning, if your heart is troubled, let me give you comfort. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the hope of eternal life. Because it is by his grace alone, through faith alone, based on his mercy and love alone, 
your eternity is held in the hands of Jesus. And so while you experience hardship and trouble and the brokenness of this fallen world, you, if you are a believer in Christ, you know the end of the story. And you know that you have a wonderful ending. <laughs> that no matter the score in the middle of the game, you know that Christ is victorious. And you will see your Savior face to face. And there will be no more pain, no more sadness, no more brokenness. Death will be killed. And that is the hope we have in Christ. Secondly, I need to challenge us this morning. I need to challenge us with what, with what especially in our culture, feels as a very difficult truth. That there is a way to be saved, but there is one way to be saved. For some of you, you need to express that faith today. That if you're here and you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, today is the day because there is only one way to be reconciled to the God who created you. And so if that's you, believe and be saved. And find the hope of eternal life as the death of Jesus reconciles you to the God who loves you and pays the penalty of the sins that you have done. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, there is a weight and a responsibility that we have to our neighbors, to our friends, and our families. That they cannot find hope and peace apart from Jesus Christ. And 99.9999999% of the time, they are not going to magically show up here so that I can say that to them. But you know what God did in his sovereignty? He put you in their life. You are next door to them. You're in the next cubicle to them. God put them in your family so that you could show them the way. How can we know the way? To use Thomas's question, God has given you in his divine sovereignty a people to show them the way that they can be saved from their sins, that they can be reconciled to the God who loves them and created them, and that they can have the hope of eternal life.
Father God, we thank you for the clarity of your word this morning. That we today, in our present situations, would understand the peace and joy that we can have through our hope in Christ. That eternal life is not a wish that might come true, but through the promise of your Son, all who believe will have eternal life. God, that we would be bold in sharing the only way of Jesus Christ. That we would not give in to fear. That we would not be timid. Because eternity hangs in the balance. God, give us a heart for the lost. Give us a love for people who do not know you. And give us the words to speak as we ought, the life-giving good news of a Savior who died and rose again so that all who believe could be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and have the guaranteed hope of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite those who are helping with communion to come forward at this time.